you're going to read a letter from Peter, you really have to understand who he was and, and his experiences. But I want to start in Matthew 16. We started here 13 weeks ago. <clears throat> you remember, Jesus said, who do people say that I am? And the disciples had all kinds of different answers. But Peter stood up and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looked at him and he said, blessed are you, Peter. Blessed are you, Simon. From now on, I'm not going to call you Simon. I'm going to call you Peter. Because on this rock that you just said, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. It was the ultimate compliment. Imagine the Son of God himself looking you in the eye and giving you those words. The ultimate high, high you can absolutely have spiritually. And in the very next passage, Peter start, Jesus starts talking about suffering. Very next passage, he talks about suffering. He says, the Son of Man is going to have to go into Jerusalem. He's going to suffer at the hands of the authorities there. And in fact, he's going to die. Now, Peter, who had just heard those words, he comes back and he says, never, Lord, never. We're not going to let that happen to you. And Jesus replied to him, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of man, but the things of God. You have in mind the things of man. So now you went from the ultimate compliment to the ultimate condemnation. He was surprised, I think, in both cases. But then as he... As he uh, as Luke uh, tells that story, he says, same, same story about how Jesus calls, starts calling uh, Simon Peter. And then he adds, Luke adds, in fact, if anybody is going to follow me, he needs to take up his cross and deny himself every single day. And then Luke, Luke is very precise. He's very chronological. He'll tell you exactly how it occurred and when it occurred. And he says in that same chapter, eight days later, they go up onto this mountain, and on that mountain, Elijah appears, Moses appears, and their faces, Jesus' face is just extremely bright. And it's just an amazing, again, another high, spiritual, spiritual high. In fact, the voice of God himself came from the heavens. You cannot get much more uh, spiritual high than that. And then Luke says, the rest of that chapter, then the rest of the chapter, Jesus keeps talking about, Okay, he set it out re- re- resolutely to go out to Jerusalem to suffer. And then by the end of the chapter, he's giving some really harsh uh, lessons about denying yourself and what it, what's the cost of following Jesus. So again, all this is probably taking Peter by surprise. But now we're going to move towards the book of Acts. A lot of you might be familiar in the book of Acts, chapter 2, when Peter preaches the first sermon and 3,000 people are baptized. And we spend a lot of time there, and it shouldn't be... Uh, that shouldn't be strange to you. But if you haven't read the book of Acts, I really encourage you to read the book of Acts, especially in the next few chapters. Because in, in Acts chapter 3, it starts off that Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. And there's a crippled man there. He's over 40 years old, and he's begging. And he, and he's, he looks, sees that Peter and John, and he begs them for money. <clears throat> and Peter looks straight at him, and he says, look at us. I want you to imagine if I come off this stage and I pick any one of you, and I look you in the eye, and I say, look at me. You're going to have your undivided attention, right? This guy's, Peter and John are walking to the temple, and there's a beggar. He stops, and he looks him right in the eye, and he says, look at me. And then he says, silver or gold we don't have, but what we do have we're going to give to you. He says, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And this guy gets up, and he walks, and he starts jumping and running. Now the crowd is astounded. Because they'd seen this guy for 40 years begging, crippled. 
now he's healed. And so a series of events start to happen. And they're crowding around him, and they're trying to find out what's going on. And Peter uses this word, these words to begin his sermon, his second sermon. He says, why does this surprise you? Chapter 3, verse 12. Why does this surprise you? And then he proceeds to give a very powerful, bold sermon. I mean, he, in that sermon, he says, you killed the author of life. And then he starts giving all the credit to Jesus. And he starts explaining to him what Jesus has done. Now we're going to skip over to chapter 4. There's so many things in this, I just, we just don't have time to go through it. But in chapter 4, the priests, the captain of the temple, the, the Sadducees, they are, the Bible says they are greatly disturbed. And they, start look, see, they actually seize Peter and John, and they put them in jail. So you go from this ultimate high of you just healed somebody in the name of Jesus to this, not ultimate, but pretty bad low, you're in jail now. You're in trouble with the authorities. And oh, by the way, while that's happening, a num- another 2,000 people are becoming believers. Imagine what that might look like today. We have a church of about 3,000 people right here. Imagine Gary or Dave or getting put in jail as the church is growing almost double. What Peter is seeing is an ultimate high of being a Christian at the same time suffering. So as you progress through your life, there's going to be some very high highs and some very low lows. But I want you to, to read this last verse. I have it up there already if you haven't seen it. This is very important. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that these were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. If you get nothing else out of today, I want you to see Peter as an ordinary man, an ordinary guy. That's why I started off talking about Andy, who was really Andrew, because Peter was a young man. Andrew was a young man at one point. And now when he's doing all these things, he's still an ordinary guy. He's not that guy that you, that you see statues of, that you see uh, the Vatican named after. You don't see cities and cathedrals. He's an ordinary guy doing extraordinary things because he's been with Jesus. And then check out what happens next. On their release, they go and, tell, they, they go and talk to their... Uh, to their uh, um, fellow believers. And verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Just just amazing things are going on. More and more people become believers. Another another incredible high. The very next, in 14 and 15, there's so many people are coming to him that they, read the second half there. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on the beds and mats so at least Peter's shadow might fall on them as he passed by. He's getting all this incredible fame, but each and every time he says, it's not me, it's Jesus. So he's got this incredible high, but at the same time, the very next verse, 18, then now the apostles are all put in jail. The very next verse, another incredible high, an angel breaks him out of jail. And then before the, that chapter is over, the Sanhedrin is saying, they're furious. And it's one thing for the, for the authorities to be kind of looking at you, and that's kind of, but if they're furious, and it says, you can't read it that well, they wanted to put him to death. They wanted to kill him. That's how, bad, how mad they were. 
And then, before they release them, they're flogged. I don't know if you've heard that word before, but they are whipped. They're whipped to the point of death. Another incredible low. You've got these incredible highs where people want to be in your shadow. At the same time you're put in jail, the authorities are furious with you, and you're going to get flogged, all of you. But look at that last verse. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer the disgrace for his name. So now when you know that background, you can see why Peter says, don't be surprised when you suffer. I want you to consider what that might have looked like. Imagine the scene. You know, if you you read through the Gospels a lot, you know that it was confusing. Jesus was teaching some things that were just, they weren't understanding. But one thing he kept talking about over and over and over again was about suffering. Now Jesus is gone. He's ascended into heaven. And you're starting to see the miracles continue through them. But at the same time, they're suffering. So now they're in jail. This is before they get flogged. I want you to think, it wasn't just Peter and John this time. It was the apostles were all in jail. And they're probably looking at each other until finally one of them cracks a smile. And much like you guys sitting around the table have told yourselves, we're going to suffer. And then you told yourself, but we're going to overcome. One of them cracks a smile and says, this is exactly what's supposed to happen. That's why when they're released and they go, they, they, they go rejoicing. That's why it makes sense. We've been talking for 13 weeks about suffering, and I don't know that you guys get it. I, I don't blame you for not getting it. But we're saying it over and over and over again, just like Jesus told it to his apostles, his disciples, over and over and over again for three years. They didn't quite get it. You're going to be here three or four years, and we're talking about it. You probably don't quite get it yet. But we want you to remember that we spend a whole semester talking about it. So when it does happen, you're going to remember each other. And you're going to, and you're going to be like the disciples, the apostles. You're going to be, you, you will, in fact, rejoice. So we're going to move on to chapter 5. This is getting near the end of the letter. <clears throat> chapter 5, 6, and 7. There are two, two verses. You know, these passages got split. But if you, if you read verse 5 last week, you really shouldn't need verse 6. Verse 5 said, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. On Wednesday night, I, I teach a leadership equip group, and we talked a lot about humble servant leadership, that God opposes the proud. If you know that, you shouldn't need verse 6. Verse 5 is like the specified task. Verse 6 should be the implied task. And we talk about that. Those of you haven't taken that uh, equip class, we'll talk about that next semester. But it, it should be implied. But, but Peter doesn't want to leave it implied. He wants to specify it. Okay, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself. Humble yourself. It's a fundamental uh, aspect of Christianity. Let's, let's look at the next verse. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You know, I, I'm, the, kind of the tone of today, the reason I started talking about this guy named Andy, is because I want you to see Andy, Andrew, and Simon, Peter, as regular guys, as personal guys. I want you to see that. And Peter, as he writes this letter, he wants you to see God, God Almighty. He wants you to see him as a personal God. He could easily have just said, cast all your anxiety on God. He could have just said that. And a lot of times we say that, just, 
you know, if someone's having trouble, just, you might just say to him, just, just, pray, just give it to God. Give it to God. And that's a great thing to say. It really is. But Peter adds another thing. He says, give it to God. And then he adds, because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. God, Peter wants you to see God as a personal God. And really, that makes all the difference. It makes all the difference in the world that, that God cares for you. We're going to skip verse 8 and 9 for now, but look, look, let's look at verse 10 and 11. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Go to the next slide. Will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Again, today we're reading this letter through Andrew's eyes. What is it that Andrew might have seen here that we, the casual reader, might not see? Let's go back to John 6. Next slide. Next slide. John 6. John 6 is a pretty amazing chapter, too. Chapter as well. It starts off a story you probably all know when Jesus feeds 5,000 people from two fish and five loaves of bread. But if you read it carefully, what happens is that there's a bunch of followers and they're coming around Jesus and they're hungry and, and there's no way to feed him. And the guy, the catalyst who starts it all, a guy named Andrew, he comes up to Jesus and he says, look, here's a boy. He's got two fish and five loaves of bread. But what's that going to do? But it, that's the catalyst. And with that, Jesus takes those uh, fish and, bread and loaves of bread, and he feeds 5,000 people. Huge, incredible high, something that will stay in their minds forever. And then shortly after that, they go out in a boat, and then Jesus walks on water. And if you read another account from another gospel, you'll see that Andrew's brother also walks on water. Incredible highs. <laughs> I mean, I don't know which is better, the, the Mount of Transfiguration or walking on water. But in either case, those are pretty high spiritual highs. And Andrew's there, at least for, the, for that second one. He sees it. But before that chapter is over, Jesus starts talking about the bread of life. And that's a real nice subtitle as you read your Bible, that Jesus is the bread of life. But if you start reading those verses, Jesus says, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And that freaked people out. What is he talking about? And then by the end of the chapter, <clears throat> by the end of the chapter, verse 60, it says, On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? So go to the next slide. And it says, Many turned their backs and no longer followed him. So imagine all these crowds that were following him after he fed 5,000 people. And then he starts talking stuff that just goes way over their head. They're like, what is he talking about? Eat my foot. What? They leave. They turn their backs and they leave. And Jesus turns to them and says, you do not want to leave too, do you? And look at what Peter says. Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So look at the similarities between that and that verse I just read to you in verse 10 when he said, Let 
The God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory is the one who's going to restore you. And Jesus says, Peter says to Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. So there's a lot that goes on in Peter's life. A lot goes on. But at this point, most of it hadn't yet happened. So long before Peter completely understood, long before Acts chapter 3, 4, and 5, Peter knew. He had a lot of doubts still to overcome, but he knew that this was Jesus, the Son of God. And that's why he tells us, you know, you're going to have doubts, you're going to have suffering, but where are you going to go? God is eternal, and that's why he uses that, that adjective. He's eternal. Where else are you going to go? And I've heard us talk about in, in this room, in fact, the past year I've heard it a lot. I heard it in the college class. I've heard it in the young adults class. I've heard it in the big main room that a lot of people question the goodness of God. And I know that they do. But I'm telling you, you, you can't let yourself fall into that. You can't let yourself think like that. Don't ever question the goodness of God because of suffering. You might have a lot of questions, and your friends might have a lot of questions, but don't ever go there. Because if, if you question the goodness of God, then you really ought to redefine what, you ought to reconsider what your definition of goodness is. God is eternal. And long before Peter understood, so, there was so much more he had to understand. He understood one thing. Where else are we going to go? Where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And he tells us similar words. This is an eternal God who cares for you. So let's go back to verse 8 and 9. Peter says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So here he goes again. This is chapter 5 now. We were talking chapter 4 sufferings. Now we're talking chapter 5 sufferings. He, he, he can't get away from it. But I want you to look at those words. And again, if you're Andrew reading this letter, you know exactly where he's coming from. I want to show you another obscure story, an obscure verse that we don't get a lot, we don't hear a lot, but it's really interesting. It's in the book of Luke. Next slide. In Luke, this is the night before Jesus is betrayed. This is the night before Jesus dies. It's in the middle of a conversation. If you go back and read uh, Luke chapter 22, it's in the middle of a conversation about a bunch of things that are going through the apostles' minds. But Jesus looks at Peter, and he doesn't use the word Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Extremely interesting verse. Lately I heard someone say, this is an example of when Jesus' prayers is not, when Jesus' prayers are not answered. It's kind of a, wow. Even Jesus' prayers wasn't answered because we know that, that Peter denied him later that night. You might take that position if you think in terms of time. If you are nearsighted, you think of just the next 24 hours that Peter's going to deny Christ. But God is eternal. 
And I think Jesus' prayers were answered. Another thing that's very interesting is that this is long after Jesus had told Simon that he wouldn't going to call him Simon anymore. He's going to call him Peter. I don't know why Jesus calls him Simon here, but maybe he's talking into the earthly nature of Peter because we're all controlled by the flesh. Perhaps that's what it is. I don't know. But I, will know that, I do know this, that Jesus knows that Peter is going to stumble. Not only later that night, and there's, there's a bunch of more verses. I'm just going to allude to them. But in Galatians 2, Galatians 2, verse 14, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is talking about how he rebukes Peter in public. This is long after Acts chapter 2, 3, and 4. Long after that. Paul rebukes Peter in public for not acting in line with the gospel. Jesus knows that Peter is going to stumble. Not just that night, but later on when Paul rebukes him. And then later, in Acts chapter 12, and again, we're not going to go there because we just don't have that kind of time tonight. really encourage you to go back and read the book of Acts and see the life of Peter. But in Acts chapter 12, he's in jail again. And again, an angel releases him from jail. And he's walking with that angel for like a block. I mean, Luke actually gives those details. He's walking with him for like a block. And then he leaves. And then, and then Jesus uses, I mean, Peter uses the words, okay, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel. Because I thought it was just a vision. This is Peter who walked on water. Peter who was on the Mount of Transfiguration and heard the voice of God. Peter, who all those things happened to in Acts chapter 3, 4, and 5. And, and he's still saying, he's still using language like, okay, now I know. And so, I think that Jesus' words, I know that Jesus' words, when he looked at Peter the night before he was going to die, and he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you, Simon. And when you return, strengthen your brothers. I think that stayed with Peter forever. And so now, now that he's experienced it, now that he's experienced the falls, the doubts, the highs and the lows, he turns it up a, a notch. I mean, sifting, being sifted like wheat. I saw a couple of videos of how they used to do that. It, it'll shake you up. And imagine that, that, that Satan himself has asked to, to sift Peter like it's going gonna, it's gonna to shake you up to see what you got. But Peter turns it up a notch. He says, now, it, it, it's like that, but it's really, it's, it's like he's, he's like a lion and he wants to devour you. But then Peter tells us, but the God of grace is going to, he himself is going to restore you and make you strong and firm. It's steadfast. So once again, Peter turns to God. So even though Jesus said, Peter, Simon, strengthen your brothers. When you get back, strengthen your brothers. The best way he can think to strengthen his brothers is to say to his brothers, God himself is going to restore you. That's the message of the letter. God is going to restore you. So I want to go back to Andrew and Simon. I want to remind you again, this is a letter. It's not a book. And so Andrew reads this letter. He's thinking of, of his brother. 
Just like when I asked you to think about you and your friends in middle school, and now you see yourself now, you know they're the same people, but you, know, you may have changed a little bit physically. They're the same people. To Andrew, Simon was always the same person. But he was different because of Christ. But he knew that. But I want to tell you why it's special to me. When I was, uh, when I was looking at this letter, you know, when I was your age, I, looked, I read this letter. I, I imagine an old man reading this, writing this letter. The first week that we were together, uh, Dave told us that the disciples were maybe teenagers, young 20s, when they, when they started following Jesus. And then he, and so that's around the 30 A.D. mark. And then he told us that this letter was written around 60 A.D. mark, so it's about 30 years later. And I look at myself, and, I, and you, you do the math real quick, and you say, Peter's about in his 50s writing this letter. And suddenly I look at myself, wow, Peter's my age. And I always saw this as an old man, and you probably do the same thing. Yeah, he's an old man. But um, I look at myself now, and I say, wow, I am, and I, I, I can think, remember clearly when I was your age. But it, it just dawned on me, I'm actually closer to 90 than I am to 14. And that kind of blew my mind. But, but what really is uh, special about Andrew and Peter is that I became a Christian when I was 14. And I had a best friend, too, who was also my brother. And my, he was about four and a half years older than me. And when we were kids, we did everything together. We had little pretend games. We'd play together, and we, you know, he'd say, I'm Muhammad Ali, and you're Joe Fraser. You, you know how that went. And he's four and a half years older than me, and I'm like nine, and he's 14. A lot of fun for him. But then we grew up, and I went to middle school, and he goes to college. And then one day he comes home from college, and he says, Raymond, I found Jesus. And I, and I think, we've always known Jesus. We grew up God-fearing young men. But he wanted to show him to, to me in a very special way. We had never read the Bible, and, and so now he was showing me scriptures from the Bible. And he showed me this, this next slide. He showed me this verse. And the way, way my brother would do this, he would, he, would, uh, he would get the Bible, and he wouldn't read it to me. He'd make me read it. But he said, read this, Raymond. And I read it. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother, Simon, and tell him, we have found the Christ. And he, and he looked at me, and he says, you see it, right? I'm Andrew, you're Peter. Before I go following Jesus with all my might, you got to come with me. And this time it wasn't pretend. It wasn't the Ali Frazier thing. It was, we're going to be partners in the gospel. We're going to be prayer partners. We're going to go through life together for eternity. We found, I found Christ. I want you to know him too. And I got a picture of what that looked like. That's me on the left. And that's him. Uh, this is a year. It's actually, I did the math, about, about 16 months before I became a Christian. And this is what life looked like when I was little, when I was your age, when I was just before your age. And it's kind of neat because 
I'm in middle school, and he's a, right in this picture, he's a second semester senior year. So it kind of covers the gap of the people in this, in this room right now. And that was him and me before we were Christians. He was my mentor. He was my coach. He was the one teaching me, showing me about life. And it was never about the here and now. It was always about now and how that matters in the future. He's always teaching me. It's a great picture. I, I really cherish that. Because a year later, it was the same thing. It was the same picture, except he had a Bible in his hand, and he was showing me. He was showing me scriptures. And once I became a Christian, we were on fire. It wasn't, it wasn't, quite, it wasn't nearly as dramatic as chapters 3, 4, and 5 of the book of Acts. But we had some, we had some really high highs. We had no idea. We read, about the same, we read the same scriptures you guys read, have been reading the last 13 weeks. And we knew about suffering, but we didn't know suffering. And the reason I show you this picture is because I, not because I want to show you what I might have looked like, but I started by showing you a picture of what Andrew and Peter might have looked like. But really, the ultimate goal is that I want you to see yourselves in Andrew and Peter. They were young men. They were young teenagers just like you. And this was before all those things were about to happen. But life is going to happen. And all this suffering stuff that we've been talking about for 13 weeks is going to hit you. And when Peter's writing this letter, it's, it's about to come on. It's about to really, really come on. In fact, it's going to end in a few years with Peter being crucified upside down. And Andrew will also become a martyr. There's going to be a lot of Christian martyrdoms in the next decade. But right now, he's just telling him that. So I show you this, and go to the next slide, because I want to show you, I want you to think this is me through the years as my brother. The one on the left, obviously, 16 months before I became a Christian. The one in the middle is when I'm at my, my peak. It was 16 months before um, I got married. And then the one on the, on the bottom is uh, just this past summer. We're in the middle one, we're standing on the peak of, of Pike's Peak. We had just climbed it. And it represents these high highs that we had. And yet there was still some low lows coming, some, some awful suffering things that we hadn't experienced yet. But I'll show you this, not to show you how I've aged, but I, want, I show you so that you can imagine yourself. I want you to think about yourself and how you're going to go through life and the promises that you're going to make to one another. And you're going to remember the things that you said to one another today, that, you, that, you, that we will suffer. But with God, with Christ, we will overcome. And one of the things that when, when my brother would go through a lot of uh, struggles and suffering, the one thing I repeated to him over and over again through the decades was, with God, you will gain the victory. There was sometimes I, I didn't know what else to say to him, but that's what I would say. With God, you'll gain the victory. And that's the same thing that, that Peter's been telling us. I want you guys to remember, as I, as I put that up there, I want you to see yourselves. And I want you to remember that in 2017, in the fall, in the semester fall semester of 2017, you spent 13 weeks reading a book, reading a letter from Peter, talking about suffering and how you're going to suffer. And I want you guys to encourage each other because you're not going to be surprised by when it happens. I'm going to go to the, the next slide. It's pretty cool. Andrew's first words to Peter, and the first time you hear him in, in, in the Gospels, he says, we found a Christ. Peter's last words in this letter, peace to all of you who are in Christ. 
that whether, whether you're a Christian or not, this world has suffering. Christian suffering is different. Life without Christ is no life at all. I want you to think about your best friends if they're not in this room and ask yourself, have I shared that good news with, with them? And if the answer is yes, do I talk about it? Do I talk about what it means to be in Christ? And, in, and do my words bring peace that we will overcome? In a few, in a few minutes, just in a couple of minutes here, we're going we're gonna to look at these table, questions on the table, and, and they're real simple questions. You can probably go through them like in, real quick. But I want you to, to couch them and, and, and think in terms of, of your, how your lives parallel the lives of Andrew and Peter and how they will parallel them through the years, through suffering, through the strength that only God provides, through overcoming. But as, you, as, you, as we leave this study of a letter written by Peter, a man of God who used to be a teenager, who used to be a young man, as we, as we leave this and as we think about our future in the decades to come, I want you to promise yourselves that when you suffer, and some of you, some of you will fall, and some of you will fall hard, and I, I guarantee you, when, it, when you fall, it hurts. But when you return, strengthen your brothers, strengthen your sisters, strengthen your friends. Let's go ahead and go over those questions.